0: You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. This is Hour 2, Monday. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. Best and worst of the weekend. If you have something on your mind that you liked or didn't like, you can tweet, email, you can dial us up, 877-3DP-SHOW. Listen on our 362 radio affiliates, and you can watch on YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Spent a lot of time talking about the last dance, last hour. We'll talk to the celebrated director, Jason Hare. He'll join us coming up in about 15 minutes. Did Carl Malone decline to be interviewed for this? I know John Stockton did not want to be part of it. He said, I don't want to be part of a puff piece. He's one of the last interviews, though, that uh, they got into the documentary. Also, Reggie Miller will join us coming up in a little more than an hour from now. I did send a text to... Uh, Reggie last night, right before the documentary started, I said, good luck. And then that's when he said, tough crowd. And I said, it's a crowd of one. And it's Michael Jordan. But I thought Reggie did well. I think how he was portrayed, I think Reg came off uh, pretty well. What's the poll question we're going to go with, McLevin?
1: Best team that Michael Jordan's Bulls beat in the playoffs. And the Pacers are leading, mm-hmm. but the Jazz are really close. Uh, behind that, you got the Blazers, the Suns, and Sonics all about the same. Okay.
0: We've talked about a variety of things here. We talked about uh, Jordan. There was part of me that I felt sorry for him because while he, he has this ability to be great, pick other people up to a different level, I do think that he is trapped by this. This is who he is every single day. We can look and admire from afar. But he's this way. This is who he is. And I think that's why he started to tear up in a previous episode talking about how he treated his teammates. Because I think there's part of you that says, I don't want to be this way. I have to be this way. And there was part of me that felt sorry for him. Not that he needs my sorrow, uh, but I just I looked at it and said, you can be trapped by this. And, and I know people who are like this. Not to that degree, but they can't change. They want to, they can't. And Michael was successful, you know, beyond belief. But there was part of me that he, he couldn't do it any other way. We also talked about the infamous flu game that's now the infamous food poisoning game. We did have a caller from Utah who claimed to know the person who made the pizza at Pizza Hut. I need a second source here. But he said that he delivered the pizza because he knew it was going to Michael Jordan. And it wasn't five guys. Okay do I think that he had food poisoning? No, I don't. Do I think he had the flu? No. Now, I don't know what he had, but I saw him when he walked in that night and he was gray. So he was sick. I don't, if you're going to say that Marriott, where the Bulls are with security and it's, you know, NBA finals, and you're going to let five guys go to Michael Jordan's room. It used to be you just went down to the lobby, and if I got a couple of guys, I send my trainer down and say, hey, I got uh, Pizza Hut delivering. Go down there, or I have security. You're going to let five guys go to your hotel room? Come on. And don't they have room service there at the Marriott? We're checking. Okay. We're all over this. I'm, I'm thinking about sending Pauly to Salt Lake, the i That'd be great. Yeah, it's just the quarantine. I can't send you.
2: I'd do a Traeger pop by and then <laughs> cruise around Park City and look for
0: uh, pizza huts. Yeah, but uh, Michael and the five guys in the food poisoning now never came out before. And Mike's the only one who had the pizza. What kind of guy bogarts an entire pizza with your boys in there with you? There it is in hey, a nutshell. Hey, come on. It's my pizza. How about you get a second pizza then? Hmm? And don't you have somebody who tests your pizza for you? Jerry Jones has somebody who cleans his glasses. You're Mike Jordan. you got to have somebody, hey, you eat it first. And, and how do you make a pizza bad? How, how do, if you say I'm setting out to not hurt Michael, not try to kill him, I just want him a little wounded so we have a chance going into game five. All these mysteries, and they continue. It's, it's part of the mythology of Michael Jordan. Larger than life, these stories, where you hear it and you don't believe it. Oh, this is why he played baseball. You hear it, you don't believe it. The flu game, now the food poisoning game. You hear it, but you don't believe it. I, you know, Trying to separate fact from fiction here is part of the fascination with Michael Jordan. But what you saw, and hopefully if you didn't get to see it, like for me, it was just a reminder just a nudge to say, just in case you forgot how exciting he was, how dominating, how demanding he was and what his world looked like. It was a, not a not so subtle reminder of that last night. And if you are from a younger generation and just learning about Jordan, now seeing it instead of, you know, clips on YouTube, I think you got a better sense of exactly who this guy was and why he was such a force. Because, The NBA was bird and magic. And it felt like it was going to be bird and magic for quite some time. And that's when Michael lights up the Celtics. Now, they don't have a great team, but he puts up 63 on the Celtics and a Hall of Fame lineup in the Garden. And that's where Larry Bird said, that's God disguised as Michael Jordan. This is Bird, as competitive as anybody you'll ever find. Magic knew that with the dream team when Mike came in and realized there was a new sheriff in town. These are the two best players in the game. And these guys don't give up that title. They don't, they don't begrudgingly, they they hand off the baton. Mike just took it. He didn't ask for it, took it. But to watch him be competitive, even in sprints, win sprints, and you would think the great players would be like, I don't need to win every sprint. Michael had to win sprints he just could not turn it off. And I don't know what he's like now, because you don't have this outlet. He has golf, and he has poker or whatever kind of gambling. You know, his basketball team, but he can't play. He can't. You're so close, but you can't affect the outcome. And I was also curious. I I, I feel bad for Barkley, because, you know, Charles was really good friends with Michael, and you know, he had some critical comments about Michael as an owner, and You know, Michael has shut him out. That's it. That relationship is over. And I was wondering, you know, do free agents want to play for a team that's owned by Michael Jordan? You would think they would. They've been an average team. They almost, they signed Gordon Hayward to an offer, but um, the Jazz matched that. That's the big name free agent in 10 years as majority owner. Uh, so he hasn't attracted anybody there, and they're an average team. Now, he might be successful making money as an owner, but his teams aren't aren't good. They're not reflective of Jordan, the player.
2: Yeah, Paul. I wondered this morning if Jordan, Michael Jordan, and his people are sitting there today thinking of themselves, mission accomplished. Whatever yes. his plan was for this documentary, the reminder, the back story, whatever, maybe, is it full thumbs up a mission accomplished, or is there anything over the past six weeks where Michael Jordan, his people are like, Oh, boy, that's that's not what we wanted.
0: No, I think it is mission accomplished because I thought it was a brilliant marketing plan by them. And that plan was, hey, LeBron just won his title, his third title, and people are starting to say he's getting up there in the com- conversation with Michael. And for Michael on that day, and it wasn't a coincidence, where he agreed to do this documentary, I thought it was mission accomplished. I thought he did a wonderful job in saying, you know what, let's just put it out there. In case there was any doubt We're going to remove all of that doubt. Now, I'll deal with some of the slings and arrows here. Hey, people are going to hear the whole story about me playing baseball, uh, my father being murdered, uh, the flu game that now became the food poisoning game, how I treated my teammates, but I wanted to win. Hey, I'm going to give some grief to some people that I still don't like, like the Pistons and Isaiah Thomas. I'm going to come out pretty, pretty well here, and I think he did. I mean, I don't know if anybody changed their opinion in a negative way after watching Michael Jordan in this documentary. I don't think so. Uh, this is how dominating Bird, Magic, and Michael Jordan were in a nine-year period, 84 to 92. Those were the only three guys to win the MVP. They won three apiece in those nine years. Those three. And Michael was separating from Bird and Magic. And you could see it. What I forgot about were the, the explosive plays by Michael. Like there was a a violence to the way he played. There was grace, and if you slow it down and he's jumping through midair, it looks like ballet. But Michael played with a machete. Like he he was attacking you. Everything was attack, attack, attack. And Kobe was that way too. You know, Kobe had that just, I'm coming at you. Not around you, I'm coming at you. And that that was a reminder for me. I'd forgotten all about that with Jordan, and just the number of explosive plays. Uh, But it was fun. We'll talk to Jason Hare, the uh, director. He'll join us coming up. Tom in Florida joins us. Tom, what's on your mind today? Hey, Dan. um, So I'm listening to you guys talk about the, you know, kind of speculate on what this whole flu game was with with MJ. And so I've been sitting on this story for about 10 years or so. Uh, I have a very credible source close to Jordan, um, that I was very fortunate to actually meet and be friends with. Okay. And he told me and my friends a few, I mean, like 10 years ago, that MJ was actually in Vegas the night before, that it wasn't the flu, it wasn't food poisoning, that he went to Vegas the night before, things got a little sideways, and that's the story. I don't know any details. I don't have any way to prove it, but it's kind of fun speculation and um, – <laughs> My friends and I couldn't believe when he told us the story because we all thought Celebrity that, you journalist know, Flo Anthony, who claims to it. have spoken to a source with knowledge from someone close to Woods, says Tiger is struggling. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I'm guessing anybody who's close to Jordan would never say anything about Michael Jordan, because if you do, <laughs> then you're no longer close to Michael Jordan. Yes, McLevin.
1: I'm picturing like the plot of the movie The Hangover, except with Jordan and Zach Galifianakis rocking <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, We have a problem here. Yeah, where's has anybody seen Michael? Oh, he's up.
0: Uh, he's on. He's in a, on a mattress at the top of this uh, hotel. yeah, Eden.
3: Man, but if you're somebody who likes to gamble and you've got uh private a jam- uh, private plane at your fingertips, it's only an hour fifteen flight. Mm, man. Yeah, but
0: you're not going to look like that from gambling. No, right, right, right. That, that, sure. I mean, Michael looked, he did look like death when he walked into the arena that night in Salt Lake City. And I just remember, because our offices at ESPN, as he walks by, he had to walk by to go to the locker room. And you could always hear the Chicago reporters, the crowd coming up. And I looked out, and Michael is about 10 feet away from me. And he was great. We knew he was sick. He was great. Like, he looked like he was on his deathbed. He, he was really, really sickly looking. I don't know how he got that way, but he was sick. There was something that was going on there. Yeah, Paul.
2: I bet if you asked Michael Jordan if he could have a do-over and have a good, clean pizza or have the flu game, he would stay with the flu game. <laughs> he would like the, all the – because he's been dining out on that game, no pun intended, for years I mean on national tv and against the biggest stage
0: but would you rather have the flu or food poisoning does it because then it sounds like somebody in salt lake made a pizza to try to hurt injure did did the i'm i'm guessing the media had to go what well they're just finding this out though right now i don't know if this is a rumor there but I, i'm i'm wondering that if you're if I'm working in local media, newspaper there in Salt Lake City, I'm, I'm asking a whole lot of questions here. I'd I just be like, OK, wait a minute. Who, so this is a pizza hut that's closed down. And we had a guy who knows the guy who made the pizza and that five got security is not letting five guys go to your hotel room. They're not. Not. Deliveries are usually made in the lobby. Why would Michael allow that? And why would Michael's handlers, security people, allow people to come up, even one person to come up? You go down into the lobby to get that. See, I don't, that doesn't, that doesn't, John. Yes, he.
3: But the, unfortunately, our caller story is already debunked, right? Which one? He, the uh, guy who said he knew the delivery person. Yeah. Right. So his story is out now, because if he's like the the pizza hut that made the pizza was two blocks from the Delta Center and his hotel was 40 minutes away in
0: Park City. Well, if it it was Park City, he's saying he was at the Marriott, that that that's where the team stayed. Now, I don't I don't once again, we're never going to get the answer to it. I thought we were today, actually. Well, I thought we were going to get to the bottom of it. Well, Paulie's working on that right now. <laughs> we got our I team working on this here. Was Jordan in Park Park City? Was Jordan in the Marriott in Salt Lake City? Did he order pizza? Did five guys go up there? He, the guy even said, "Yeah, he ordered a large pepperoni pizza, thin
2: crust." Yes, Paulie. I actually sent a note to uh, AM Seven Hundred, our radio station out there, <laughs> and you know to the Salt Lake Trib to see yeah. if they. Who's on this story for you guys? (laughs) I would be on it. Yeah, absolutely. I I would try to cash in
0: on this because people are going to be curious about this. Five guys. Yeah, Fritzie.
4: Jordan loves these stories. He we saw that throughout the documentary. He creates situations and things that may or may not exist. Like he like he didn't have enough fire. He's got to, they're trying to injure me or kill me. The jazz fans and people all over. I'll show them. It was wasn't enough that he wanted to win another title, but they're actually trying to make me sick, so I can't even
5: play.
0: I think Michael invented the flu. Is what he did, right? Yeah. It Just uh, let me see. I'm not feeling well. Flu. How about flu? Because flu sounds a little. I don't know. Food poisoning sounds probably better because it feels like somebody went out of their way to do something to me. And even then they couldn't stop Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they poisoned my food, not trying to kill me, just trying to slow me down. Deep dive, deep dish. Next. A couple of phone calls here.
4: Uh, Mike in Indiana. Mike, how are you? Hi hey i 'm great Dan. Uh, you guys are doing a great job um, five six a buck sixty five thank you very much i 'm um, a middle school assistant principal so i 've been uh, delivering school work to kids that don 't have internet and one of the things you brought up was that is this documentary made to influence the younger generations well here 's a quick story. I go and deliver a packet of paper to a kid who 's on the basketball team he 's twelve years old. And uh, I kind of knock on the door, step back to socially distance, and uh, he kind of walks out on the front stoop. And I go, "How's everything going?" I go, "You missing school?" He's like, "God, oh, man, I'm really missing my travel basketball team." And I was like, "Oh, I bet." I go, "Man, those guys are you guys are pretty good." He goes, "Yeah, but the big problem is that we got you know like two Ron Harpers and a Scotty Pippen, but we don't we don't have any Dennis Rodman, <laughs> man." And I and right then I was like, "Oh my God." He, <laughs> He's spot on. This is exactly what it's made for. But I just thought I'd share that quick story with you guys. Keep doing a great job. I really Thank you, Mike.
0: Yeah, you don't want a Dennis Rodman. And, and that's why I, I, I just thought the breakup was inevitable. I just don't think they could have held that together. And I don't think that even if you had some of the remaining parts, you would have been better than San Antonio that year. And San Antonio beat the Knicks in the NBA Finals. I don't know who stays with them. You know, Scotty has to go someplace to get paid. You know, Dennis Rodman, for the most part, was done. He he went to the Lakers. He played 20 more games in his career. He was done. Ron Harper. You know, you had Kukoc, who was an emerging star, and could you keep Phil there? How much was Phil going to cost you? You Maybe you keep them together, or at least part of it. I don't think you're able to keep Pippen. Because Scotty really wanted to get paid. Plus, he had, uh, you know, he was hurt that next season. No, we'll never know. Now, when they uh, McLevin brought this up, you know, were you disappointed they couldn't stay together? I wanted to see Michael with those two years in baseball if he stayed together, and they stayed together, and what they could have done. And I would love that matchup with the Houston Rockets. Look, the Bulls answered every question when it came. They never went to a seventh game in the NBA Finals, but. Rockets would have been a whole lot of fun. That would have been a different kind of opponent for them. All right, we'll take a break. We'll talk to the director of The Last Dance, Jason Hare. Did Carl Malone decline to be interviewed? And what story does Jason feel like he still has some questions about? We'll get some more phone calls coming up as well. It's uh, 20 after the hour. This is the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Dan Patrick Show brought to you by Mercedes-AMG. Be prepared for whatever comes your way. It's the all-new GT four-door coupe. Life is a race. Visit your local dealership for a test drive today. If you missed any interviews from the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, go to the Dan Patrick Show app, watch and listen from inside the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, Mercedes-AMG driving performance. He deserves a victory lap. He is the director of The Last Dance. Jason Hare joins us on the program. Good morning, Jason. How you feeling? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. How does it feel to exhale?
5: Um... Kind of surreal because th- this, this is the first day that I haven't literally had to worry about something uh, to do with the making of the show in, in uh, at least two and a half years, actually well over that. So um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of mixed emotions. I was telling someone last night that it's, it's kind of like how you feel when you graduate, like a high school or college graduation, you know, for years you say, I can't wait to get out of this place. I can't wait. And then when that moment happens and you look around, you see, you're not going to see these people again. You're not going to be in a phase of your life like that again. Uh, I get sentimental in those times. This was a, a significant chapter of my life. I'm 43, and I spent over four years on this thing, or almost four years in this. That's that's about 10% of my life that I spent on this story. So, it's uh, it's definitely bittersweet.
0: When's the last time you spoke to Jordan?
5: Um, when we interviewed him in December. Oh, so you haven't spoken to him at all after this came out? No. no, I don't have a relationship with him like that. No, I've, I've spoken to him you know a handful of times in my entire life and 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 half of those are when we sat down for for cameras if
0: i said you get one more question
5: to jordan what would it be oof um, that's a tough one we laughed at the end of the, the final episode or the final uh interview we laughed because I said anything you want to add and he said I think we pretty much covered everything and and we both laughed a little bit I'd have to think about that you put me on the spot what's the
0: story that you don't think you got the full answer to
5: Mm, well anything to do with Krauss, of course is you know I would love to know um if he regretted that, that would be one of my main questions is d- do you regret saying to Phil Jackson, you can go 82 and and you're not coming back to, to uh, coach this team because that was met what made everything untenable. I believe if he doesn't say that, if he doesn't draw a line in the sand like that, then uh, Jerry Reinsdorf offers him another year and he can still maybe make that happen. And if Phil makes it happen then the rest of the team's going to make it happen. And you can argue about what would have happened in, in that season to come. But um that's, that's one that's always going to be kind of a blind spot for us because we just don't have Jerry Krause's opinion on this. Did Carl Malone decline to be interviewed? Yes. Did he say why? No. Um, he declined through another party. We asked him multiple times. Did you
0: try to reach out through Stockton to Malone? or? Yeah. I figured. Yeah,
5: they, they were, they were, believe me, we exhausted just about every avenue. We started in January of 2018 on that one because wow. we knew that he was going to be a, a tough... A tough sell. Uh and I tried right up until I think I told you earlier this month that that we interviewed John Stockton on March 10th. We, we were we were really up until the last, literally the last possible day to do these interviews. So we tried and tried with Carl. We tried to get them to sit down together. Thought that might be a better option and <laughs> feel more comfortable with that, but there was just no convincing him.
0: Anybody of note aside from Malone who said no? Brian Russell. Ooh.
5: <laughs> um, that you know what? That wasn't a that was just a no response. That was a we never got any anything back from him. And I think, yeah, you know, out of respect to Brian, I think he knew what questions we were going to ask. Um, so maybe he didn't want to go there, but but there's there's really nobody else of note that said that declined.
0: You okay with the pizza story now? It's
5: food poisoning, <laughs> not the flu here, Jace? Absolutely. Um, and I can I can shed a little bit of light on that as well. Okay, so. A lot of people I saw online last night and people were texting me asking like, what kind of guy eats an entire pizza in a room full of grown men who doesn't grab a slice? What happened was that they're on the outskirts of Salt Lake. They're not staying in, in, in Salt Lake proper. They're, they're kind of in the suburbs or on the edge of town and there are limited food options out there. And at the time that George and Gus and, and Tim, actually Gus wasn't there, but Tim Grover and George and all the security guards ordered dinner, um, Room service was working then and Michael wasn't hungry or he wasn't there, I think. So he came back and he was pissed off because they ate without him. So it gets to be about 10, 11 o'clock and he's hungry. This is the story that he told us. So they find a place that, that delivers pizza and he says, nobody touched this pizza. This is my pizza. You guys ate without me. So he spat on the pizza. So that nobody else could eat it and that's how we know that nobody else it that's now did he finish the pizza himself i don't know but he did say that he spit on the pizza so that nobody else could eat it and i think he had been known for doing this i heard a story sometime or one time about how um this is public that he was on a commercial shoot and someone gave him homemade brownies and his security guards were in the trailer and he said no one touched these brownies these are mine and he spat on them and he went to the shoot so uh, but he did tell us that we, we didn't have time to put it into the story. But a lot of people said, well, why would he eat an entire pizza?" that's why?
0: I was told that he stayed in Park City. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? You said uh, they're on the yeah. outskirts of Salt Lake. I was told that Michael would stay in Park City and not in Salt Lake City.
5: By himself? Uh, I, don't I, know, I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know the know, answer to that. Okay, he I don't thought know if he, was, he
0: was by himself. I, I, I don't think he was staying with the team.
5: Well, he was with the team, though, in in 98. He comes back to the hotel and he's with the team. So I know he stayed with the team in in Utah in in 98. I'm not sure about 97, but I know we have cameras there. And I think he got the same suite every time he went to Utah. He would would stay in the suite that had that piano.
0: Well, that's why I didn't know if he was – you said he was on the outskirts. And then somebody said, no, they stayed at the Marriott in downtown Salt Lake, which is not very far from the arena, but – These are just details here. I'm trying to piece it all together because I want to find out about this pizza thing. And would, would security allow five guys, Jason, to deliver a pizza? And the answer is no.
5: Doubtful, but I, I don't know. I don't know who was working the door that night. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure no one called, and I don't I don't think Michael called and said, "Hi, this this is living legend Michael Jordan. Could you deliver a large pepperoni to my room?" I think it was the pizza's going up to room five twenty two, and I, it, there there's a conceivable world in which the guy working the front desk says to the dudes, "Hey, that's Jordan's room that you're you're going to deliver a pizza to." I I, I can't believe that there were five guys working at a pizza <laughs> joint on the outskirts of of Salt Lake City at one there might be five pizzeria employees in, in that entire time zone at that point. So
0: you worked so hard for four years and this is what I want to ask you about. Yeah. Yeah no, I expected it. That's
5: that's great. If there's no baseball strike, what happens to Michael Jordan? I think he becomes a, a major leaguer. I, I I think that he I think he makes the White Sox that following year. Um and I think uh if he enjoys playing baseball, which I imagine he would have, if he doesn't get an itch too much to come back to, to basketball, that we're not having this conversation, because I think that he would, he, he could have finished his career as a baseball player. That's my opinion. I've, I've been down this road in the last five weeks or so that I say that now, all of a sudden it's a headline that Michael Jordan would have played. That's my opinion that, that I, I think that he was passionate enough about baseball and loved it so much and loved that reset that he got when he went to Birmingham. Um, and I do firmly believe, um, for myriad reasons that, that he would have made the major leagues, including the fact that none other than Terry Francona says he needed a thousand more bats uh, to get up there.
0: Did he address this, the baseball strike and what that meant to his baseball career and his basketball career?
5: I honestly forget. I could look it up right now, but um, I, I do know that, that the baseball strike left a sour taste in his mouth. Uh, there's no way he was going to cross that picket line. He was not going to be a scab. He knew that, Um and I don't think he had any intentions of going back to, to basketball that year. He was firmly committed because he was, he had hit, I think, 268 in the fall league. He hit 202 for Birmingham. Then he went to the fall league and hit 268 or 264. He was improving and he was really excited for that season. And then what happened happened. So uh, he didn't, he was left really with no choice but to leave baseball and either retire from sports altogether or come back to the Bulls.
0: I mentioned this last hour and it caught some people off guard. I, I said there was part of me that felt sorry for Michael Jordan. And that is, this is who he is every day. We admire it from afar. He, he lives in this world where everything is competition. Back then, everything. I don't know how much he enjoyed it as much as it was a relief when he won. The expectations were so high. I don't know if he could treat his teammates any differently. And I think that's when he said the time he sat down with you and he started to tear up, let's break. He didn't want to think that's just not who he is. He doesn't allow himself to think that way. Um, did you, do you understand what I'm saying that I, I, mm-hmm. I felt sorry for him in, in some regards because the people around him back then, Ahmad Rashad and Quinn Buckner, and then the security people that he pays to be around him. I just think he lived in this world that we could never understand, relate to. And you have the great scene where he's on the couch with the cigar and he goes, here, this is my
5: life here. Yeah. It was well, trapped that, by success. Of, that's a question of Uber fame, right? I mean, that, yeah. that's that's separate from the torture of being that competitively driven um, that you're kind of held hostage by that insatiable goal to win, win, win. Um, and I think that there's probably people who have similar uh, I don't know if you call it a pathology, but but similar mindsets that are there must be maddening to live within. It's the fame to me that if I had any sympathy for Michael, it would be because of of that okay. that. You know, I I don't know that he, I don't know that anyone knew what kind of a prison he was putting himself in when he became that famous at just that time. There's so many aspects to this story that couldn't have happened at any other time. Michael was born in 1963. He turns 21 and joins the NBA in 1984 at the same time that David Stern comes on as new commissioner, this visionary executive who may be the greatest commissioner ever, comes in at the same time as Michael, at the same time that satellite and cable TV start proliferating all over the country and all over the globe. At the same time that we're commodifying uh, American pop culture all over the planet. At the same time that um, black Americans, black entertainers are being welcomed into homes. So all of a sudden it's Eddie Murphy and Bill Cosby and Prince and Michael Jackson. This is something that couldn't have happened 10 years earlier. So many of those things happen. In addition to that was the proliferation of uh, electronic tabloid journalism so you had hard copy and inside edition and these kind of shows it was kind of like the the prequel to tmz culture and michael was it, caught up in that maelstrom and if this had happened 10 years earlier maybe he's magic johnson and he's not you know on on gigantic murals uh, halfway around the globe he's, he's he's just a national star every single thing happened for for better or worse everything happened exactly at the right time for the story to became what it was To become what it was. What's the next project? I don't know. I'm getting that question a lot. I don't know. And I, I I was joking to you a while back that I need just a a nap and a cold beer, and I still need that. (laughs) The, the, um, uh, last night was a late night just because the uh, the the adrenaline. And I heard from a lot of people after the show and. zoomed with my family for about an hour afterwards. And, and, you know, th- that was a way of, of bringing us together. Cause of course, uh, you know, like all families, we, we miss the hell out of each other right now. So I, I haven't gotten a chance to really sit back and think about anything else. This is really the first day where I haven't been actively working or worrying about this series. Cause for better or worse, now it's done. There's nothing I can do about it. it, it it's out there now. It's out in the world.
0: What about the 11th episode? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I would love to have Andy Thompson, who was you know, part of the genius behind all of this, mm-hmm. let him talk about, I, I just think the people behind the scenes in, in gathering all of this, knowing that it might not ever air and that you're getting yeah. this stuff. you know, And we didn't hear the stories of what they were shooting. They kept it quiet there. I, I don't know. Outtakes would be great. I would like to know when Michael said break. What was Jordan like after he became emotional talking about the way he is to his teammates when he got up, what happened next?
5: He um, composed himself really quickly. Um, we had a couple of, a couple of his people were there. Um, I can tell you that Ahmad was, was, was there. Ahmad had come with him cause they had golfed earlier in the day. And, and they're of course, really close friends. And I remember Ahmad, like Michael was composing himself and Ahmad from the corner of the room said, kill or be killed and he started laughing i don't think he realized because he couldn't see michael michael was blocked by lights and cameras and things so i i don't think that he could realize that michael was getting emotional and i think that he thought that michael just got tired or, or had to get up for some reason so he was joking off camera and so that immediately put michael at ease and you know he took a puff of the cigar and sat back down we rolled pretty quickly and the thing was too i i know that you've seen this side of him is that he snapped right back into it, and he started just busting the balls of one of our camera guys who was wearing shorts and had huge calves. He said, you got big calves, man. You play football? And he was a good friend of mine, John Roach. He said, no, basketball. He goes, oh, it's this big, slow, white kid, man. And everyone burst out laughing. You know, we're right back into that charismatic Michael. So he knows how to flip the switch.
0: So the headline here is Michael spit on the pizza. So the guys in the room.
5: Could- I don't want that to be the headline. No. no, oh, you don't want it to be? Well, <laughs> You got no that, control over it. The fact that. is that the fact is that. The headline, you, you this is your newspaper, so you can do what you want with it.
0: Oh okay. God. Uh hey, it was fun. I I, I hope you, you you are able to sit back and enjoy it. Sometimes you get so close to it that it it sort of takes over your life. But uh yep. it, yeah, was, for sure. it was a story well told there. And uh, you you should really feel good about yourself there, Jason. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Go have that beer and get that nap. Have the nap and then the beer or have the beer, then the nap, Jason. We'll <laughs> wait till about noon and then I'll make a decision. <laughs> All right. That's Jason here. He's the director of The Last Dance. We'll take a break. More phone calls coming up here. Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, nine until noon, Eastern six to nine Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app. At FSR, or stream us live every day at youtube.com/slash the Dan Patrick Show. We will provide our best and worst of the weekend. Get to more phone calls coming up. John in New Orleans joins us now to tell you how it's done. Best and worst there, John.
2: Hey, boy, six five, uh, two twenty. My wife thinks I'm Frank Thomas. Uh, the the be- The best of the weekend was watching the pros carry their own bags and uh, do their own course management. I, I like that. and uh, I'd like to see it again in a major tournament or maybe not a major, but a regular
4: tournament. What do you think about that? Yeah,
0: I thought it would be fun. Uh, I mentioned that to Bubba Watson a couple of weeks ago, and Bubba didn't sound too keen on carrying his own bags. Uh, Sean in Indiana joins us. Hey, Sean.
4: Dan, good morning. Morning. Um, The uh, I I was going to settle this whole Michael Jordan Greatest of All Time debate, um, and it kind of goes along with the the watching the the Last Dance. The fact that the scores back in the '90s, and I'm 37 years old, so I I mean I, I see it then and now. But when Michael, when the Bulls would score 83 points and win the game, like 83 to 77. Michael Jordan was still scoring 45 points or 38 points. Now, if, say, LeBron was to score 38 points, the team had 120. So it, it just kind of shows you that every it wouldn't matter what happened. Jordan was just going to dominate the game, a good defense or bad defense. He was always going out there scoring a ton of points.
0: Yeah, can't argue with that. Uh, Thanks for the phone call. I mentioned in the fourth quarter, that game six of uh, the last dance, in the final three minutes and 40 seconds, nobody else took a shot for the Bulls. Jordan had eight points, two steals, one rebound. The one steal off Malone and the two points, the jumper win the NBA championship. The Utah Jazz in that series averaged 80 points per game. That's the second lowest by any team in the finals in the shot clock era. They were the second leading scoring team in the league that year. Utah averaged 101 points during the season that year. That's what's often overlooked with the Bulls. Michael's greatness, Scotty, Kukoc, Rodman, Phil, they played great defense. Great defense.
2: Yampo. Yeah, that guy was talking about uh, scoring by a player and a team. A couple years ago, James Harden, I think two years ago, a year and a half ago, James Harden averaged 36 points a game. The Rockets averaged 115 game a uh, game. So 36 for him, 115 for the team. The year Michael Jordan averaged 37 points a game. The Bulls averaged 104 points as a team, hmm. 11 fewer.
0: Yeah, I mentioned that I didn't know if Utah got over 80 points. They didn't get over 90 points in... Uh I misspoke. They didn't get over 90 points in all six games in that series. And they averaged uh, 101 during the regular season. So, Bulls played great defense. And a lot of times you can look at a team that is great offensively, they have to be really good defensively as well. Uh, And sometimes, like Golden State Warriors, they're a good defensive team. They were a really good defensive team. But we looked at them as this offensive juggernaut. Let's go around the room. Best and worst of the weekend. Fritzio, start with you.
4: My best of the weekend. I had seen both movies before, but enjoyed watching Jaws again late Friday night. And then there's a movie called good boys, which I recommend cute movie about uh, coming of age kids, learning about the uh, birds and the bees. Very funny movie. Worst of the weekend passing of CBS sports broadcaster a Phyllis George, part of the NFL today team with uh, Brent Musburger Cross, and Jimmy, the Greek. So uh, that was a uh, sad to hear that.
0: Yeah. And I think, and Brent Musburger said this so eloquently over the weekend. And, and Brent was part of the CBS uh, Today, their uh, football pregame show. And he said, you know, that Phyllis George mattered. that That sometimes you look and, you know, that's kind of eye candy or dressing. Phyllis George mattered. And that she was a trailblazer. For for women getting into the business, and then she would sit down and do these interviews. You know, she had this famous exchange with Roger Staubach, you know, very Christian man, and Phyllis was talking to uh, Roger Staubach about you know Joe Namath and Joe Namath going out with all these women, and Roger says, you know, I'm just like Joe Namath. I like sex, but I I I only have it with one woman, and it was just such a. You know, like you'd never get that response out of Roger Staubach, but, but she did. And it was just, it was funny. Uh, but, you know, you had Jimmy the Greek on there with Irv Cross, the former player. Brenton was the host. And uh, then you had Phyllis George, who did a lot of the features there. But uh, Phyllis, former Miss America. And she was married to John Y. Brown, who used to own the Kentucky Colonels of the ABA basketball team.
1: McLevin, best and worst of the weekend. Uh, best or worst just want to remind you that Irv Cross was my dad's gym teacher at Abington High School after he retired from the Eagles mm-hmm. little known fact mm-hmm. uh, my best is that after Chris Sims' interview on Friday NFL Twitter went nuts about the Russell Wilson trade once again and everyone's like why are we making a bigger deal out of this uh, and also people were showing all these clips of John Schneider the Seahawks GM salivating over Josh Allen in the <laughs> draft process they went, they went full as a Bruder film on all this which is great worst is um, it's the anniversary of Magic Johnson's Scoring 42 in 1980 to beat the Sixers in game six of the finals. Kareem had hurt his ankle, and I guess everyone thought the Sixers were going to win, and Magic ruined it all.
0: Yeah, that's one of those where you watched and you went, He's playing he's playing center. Well, he played wherever he wanted to play. Magic was unbelievable that night. Unbelievable. Uh Seton O'Connor, best and worst of the weekend.
3: I don't know if these are best or worst. They just sort of are. Um, But watching Bundesliga this weekend was great. I really enjoyed having live sports again. But it was weird that, you know, you would see on the sideline that everybody had a mask on and they stayed six feet apart. And then the guys would be on the pitch and they would be playing and slide tackling and, you know, playing a normal game of soccer. But then as soon as somebody scored a goal, nobody was allowed to celebrate with each (laughs) other. They all had to stay back. They're like, what? Wait a minute. Like you were just like wrestling with that guy a second ago. And now all of a sudden you have to like, no, 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 no. Just let's just look at each other and smile. And that's an appropriate celebration. It's kind of bizarre. That was the one thing I found really odd outside of the uh, crowds being gone. Um, and then the other thing is I just started diving back into, uh, and I've never actually seen them before. So it's really my first time through all the mission impossible movies with Tom Cruise. You like them? Um, I don't know if I like them necessarily, but they're really good entertainment for uh, you know, 10-year-old kid who thinks spies oh, are oh, oh, pretty okay. awesome. Yeah. Um, so he's really into it. But I will say this though, the the stunts that Tom Cruise does in that, cuz they're famous for him doing his own um stunts, are pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, I I watch them. I'm not, you know, enamored with them. Yeah. I, I finished uh, Better Call Saul. I went through four seasons pretty quickly there. Look forward to season five on that. All right, final hour coming up. We'll get to Pauly's best and worst of the weekend. Reggie Miller will stop by, get his thoughts off the last dance. More phone calls as well this Monday. Dan in the Dan. at Dan Patrick Show.